I am the great and terrible Joshua P. Warren, the Wizard of Weird, and this is the Speaking of Strange report for October 7th, 2017. This is the first Speaking of Strange podcast I have produced for you in four months. I have been absolutely slammed. And I have so much to tell you about. Oh boy, yeah. So I think you will enjoy this podcast. And uh, listen, you know, even though I have not given you one of these in months, I'm making up for it. That is because tomorrow, for the first time ever, I will begin doing a free daily podcast It's called Joshua P. Warren Daily, and it's like nothing you've ever heard before. These will be live updates from me in the field throughout my day, every day, seven days a week. Now, I'm going to tell you more about this new podcast I'm doing at the end of this podcast. But regardless, I just want you to know right up front, you can go... Right now to joshuapwarren.com and you'll find a link at the very top that says click here for Joshua's new podcast. And you want to go ahead and do that ASAP. Um, There are numerous ways to subscribe and uh, you want to subscribe in one of those ways so you will be alerted when new podcasts are posted because I may actually post more than one per day. And I tell you, one of the simplest things you can do is just sign up to my Twitter account. You can just follow me and no one else if you want. And your phone will get a little notice from me every time a new podcast is posted. And you can click that link to listen to it. It's that simple. But anyway, I'll tell you more about that again at the end of this podcast. But I I wanted to make sure you realize that that is an option for you. So, my gosh, where the hell... Do I begin? Uh, this, I mean, this is honestly daunting. So I, I've been, uh, I've been running into celebrities. I went to a, a legal marijuana dispensary and had legal weed for the first time in my life. I'll tell you how that went. Uh, I've been dealing with uh, all kinds of crazy paranormal drama. Um, Okay, so let me just start with where I am right now. Uh, I am currently in my hometown of Asheville, North Carolina. This is where I was born and raised. This is where I have the Asheville Mystery Museum and the Haunted Asheville Tours and all that. Um, Because, you know, I travel a lot, but that's where I am today. Uh, over the past months, I've done. I've been doing a lot of TV work. In fact, uh, I was a producer on a series on the History Channel called American Ripper. Hopefully, you got to see that. If not, I suggest you go and find it. Uh, I'm sure it's on the History Channel app or whatever, so so that you can watch some of their uh, past shows. But um, that's really cool because. I you know years ago I met Jeff Mudgett who is a descendant of H H Holmes and I interviewed him on Speaking of Strange because Jeff Mudgett um now if if you don't know who H H Holmes is okay H H Holmes is considered America's most 
prolific and first serial killer. He killed possibly hundreds of people in the 1800s. And so Jeff started putting these pieces together and came to the conclusion that um, his like great grandfather, I forget what the, I think it's his great grandfather, H.H. Uh, uh, Holmes, actually was in the Whitechapel district in England when the Jack the Ripper murders occurred. And everybody's always said, you know, Jack the Ripper was probably a doctor and all that. And, and, and there's just this amazing amount of consistency between the life and the, the motif and all that uh, of uh, the, the modus operandi uh, of H.H. Of H. Holmes and what people attribute to Jack the Ripper. And so this whole series uh, is about, you know, pr- proving that case. And I um, worked with Jeff and pitched this thing to the production company and got the ball rolling on all this. And I will tell you, if you haven't seen American Ripper, um, my understanding is that it has broken some records for the History Channel in terms of how many people have DVR'd it and the, the demographics of people who have watched it and all that. So very cool to be a part of that. I'm very proud with how that turned out, and who knows, uh, there are still some questions left to be answered, but I will tell you, it's an eight-part series, and the end of it is, uh, uh, I think it's a very uh, bold and satisfying ending, but again, there are still a few questions left. So that said, uh, anyway, here are some of the places where I've been recently. I, um, you know, I was in Puerto Rico. I have a, a condo in Puerto Rico. We'll talk more about that later. And um, I left Puerto Rico just before the hurricane started arriving. And I went to Las Vegas. Uh, God bless those people in Las Vegas. I mean, you know, geez. I've I've kind of been telling people you might not want to hang out with me because I'm in Puerto Rico and they get hit by the most devastating hurricane in generations. Then I go to Vegas and this tragedy occurs there. I don't know how to explain uh, what's happening here. But what I will tell you is that I went to Vegas because I was shooting an episode of Ghost Adventures with Zach Bagans and his crew for the travel channel. Now, um, the episode that, that, that we, we shot, it was going to be a part of the Halloween special for this month, but they have recut things and I'm not, I don't think it's going to actually be in the Halloween special, but last I've heard, it's going to be in another episode of ghost adventures. But, we shot the special, uh, or, or, or I should say we shot my portion of, of this uh, episode in Zach Bagan's new haunted museum. And, and I'm going to tell you more about the haunted museum in a minute, because it is mind-boggling. I mean, I'm telling you, it'll blow your mind. But anyway... So, I ended up spending, like, two weeks in Vegas, which is insane. It's a miracle I'm still alive, because everybody that I, I talk to in Vegas, 
at, at the casinos and stuff. If I said, yeah, my wife and I are here for two weeks, they were, every one of them were like, whoa, are you insane? Like, people come here for two or three days, and, you know, they're done. So, yeah, because it's just, you know, every every vice that you could want is, is at your disposal in Vegas. But uh, anyway, I, I got to tell you this right up front. So, <laughs> they, they put me up at this um, really nice resort, casino resort, uh, called the Palms. And I think I'd only been there two, maybe three days. I mean, not very long, considering I'm there for two weeks. And I went down to the lobby, because we were staying, uh, I think, like, on the 31st floor, something like that. Went down to the lobby, took care of some business there. I got on the elevator... I'm by myself. The doors on the elevator are about to close. And all of a sudden, this big brawny guy puts his hand out, stops the doors. And the guy who steps into the elevator with me is Coolio, the rapper. Now, I know this is kind of a generational thing. If you're a little if you're a little too young or a little too old, you might not know who Coolio is. But I was I was right there at my prime for appreciating Coolio at the height of his career. I would play a little Coolio for you right now, but um I don't have the rights to do that and I don't want to go through that. You can look up Coolio on your own. Coolio is a very distinctive looking guy because he has these sort of big braids that uh, protrude from his head like horns. And so he, he, he wears a ball cap uh, often and he'll just cut a couple of slits in it. And so he has these braids hanging out of his head. So Coolio gets on the elevator with me and then the brawny guy comes in. He's obviously some kind of security guy. And then there's another dude. So here I am, standing next to the most famous rapper I've ever met. And we're on an elevator, we're in close quarters, and so I thought to myself, man, I should say something to Coolio. Like, Coolio, man, you're one of my favorite rappers, you know. And I, I started to open my mouth, and then it occurred to me, all right, I don't know uh, how much you know about me, but you can probably just imagine that I don't look like a typical rap fan or whatever. And, and, and right before I opened my mouth, I thought to myself, you know, I'm like 99.9% .9 sure this is Coolio, but... If this is not Coolio, if I am wrong this one time, and I say to this gentleman who has stepped into the elevator, Coolio, what's up, man? This might be a guy who does not appreciate 
being called Coolio. Especially, uh, you know, anyway, so I was thinking, here I am in Vegas on an elevator with these guys. If I say Coolio and he doesn't like it, I might end up with my balls in a sling, if you know what I'm talking about. So I keep my mouth shut, but here's what I did do, and here's a tip for, for all of you who might have a spontaneous celebrity encounter I examined his tattoos, because tattoos are pretty unique, distinct things. And he had all kinds of tattoos. So anyway, I got back to my room. I never said a word to the guy. I got to my room. I went in. I looked up Coolio. It was, yes, I was right. It was Coolio. He had all the same tattoos and everything. And later on, I found out from the the staff that Coolio visits the place all the time. So anyway, that was like my first little celebrity encounter there uh, in Vegas. And, and, and I had a lot of fun. I mean, um, I went to the Pawn Stars Pawn Shop, speaking of History Channel. Uh, and just like my buddy Dean Worsing has told me, because he went there before, it is actually much smaller than you would think. Uh, it looks a lot bigger on TV. Everybody was cool there. I bought a few mementos. But one of the things that I found uh, especially interesting is that right next to the Pawn Stars Pawn Shop, which is called Gold and Silver Pawn, um, Rick Harrison, the guy who is the, the dominant you know owner of all, all that, um, the bald guy, if you've watched Pawn Stars, he's the bald guy, and, and, and the, the old man is his father, and Corey is his son, and Chum Lee is just a sidekick figure. Rick Harrison has opened a barbecue joint right next door to the pawn shop, and so uh, Lauren and I went over there, and uh, we, I mean, let me tell you guys something, all right? I was, I, again, I'm born and raised from North Carolina, okay? Born and raised in North Carolina. Lauren is from Texas. I've been all over North Carolina. I've been all over Texas. But I've also been all over the Southeast. And I am like a barbecue guru. And I, every time I go to a state, a lot of these states are boring. And so I'm like, you know, I'm going to uh, go on a little tour, and so I'll create some kind of a food tour for myself. Uh, not that I'm a big fat guy or anything. I mean, sometimes I'll just take one bite of something. I know that's a terrible waste, but hey, that one bite, it, that tells you a lot. And I have been all over the Southeast uh, trying out barbecue. And I just want you to know that the barbecue at uh, Rick Harrison's barbecue joint there is some of the best barbecue I've ever had hands down and Lauren agreed so uh but you know it's funny because um we went in there on probably like a Tuesday afternoon and we were just about the only people in there and the guy running the place he said you know Rick Harrison himself comes into this barbecue joint and uh he bartends on Friday nights, from you know this time to that time, I was like, really? So, yeah. So of course we go we go there on Friday night. Sure enough, Rick is there. The place is packed out. Rick was great. You know, he bought 
us a shot. Um, and uh, and trust me, I don't think he does that for everybody. <laughs> but no, it was really cool. And um, I know if you've never watched Pawn Stars, I might be boring you right now. But if you have watched Pawn Stars, you're probably very interested in the fact that uh, there is a uh, a big old boy named Antoine who is sort of one of the security guys there. And I struck up a conversation with Antoine, and I said, Antoine, tell me some crazy stories, please, that would sort of blow my mind. And he goes, well, one day I arrived early in the morning to the pawn shop, and the old man is lying there in the parking lot, and there's a guy on top of him with a a gun, and he is attacking the old man and robbing him. And so Antoine said he shot the guy seven times and killed him. And when the police arrived on the scene and said, why did you shoot this guy seven times? He said, because I had seven bullets. That's an interesting story. So, you know, Vegas, oh boy, what a place. Uh, Also, while I was there at uh, Rick's Barbecue Joint, I got the pleasure of meeting Murray the Magician. Uh, He's been on uh, all kinds of TV programs. He was on America's Got Talent. And uh, good guy, very cool guy. We are even talking about right now possibly producing some TV shows together. So anyway, look, I I, I went over there to the pawn shop and kind of catty-cornered from the shop was an antique store. And uh, Lauren and I are big suckers for antique stores. I mean, if you like history and you're into maybe unusual things, you walk into an antique shop, and it's kind of a grab bag. You don't know what you're going to find inside. So we went into this antique store. We're the only people. I mean, again, this is like a slow Tuesday afternoon. We go into the antique store, and uh, it was weird because you could tell this place was at one time, I guess, like a house because instead of being a big open space, it was like a lot of little rooms that were kind of connected in a bizarre manner. And um, we go walking around, you know, and then Lauren and I kind of separate a little bit. And then uh, Lauren uh, walks up to me and she says, I think I just saw a ghost in here. Now, mind you, Lauren is not a psychic or somebody who sees weird stuff. I mean, she... She, if anything, she's more of a skeptical type of person. Even though I do what I do, she believes the stuff that I find because she knows me and she knows that I'm honest and the kind of research that I do. But generally speaking, she's not the kind of person who goes out and has some kind of paranormal experience. So I said, you saw a ghost? And she goes, yeah. She says, I I was standing in this little uh, corner room kind of a i think it was a blue room it had blue paint on the the walls uh and she said i uh i saw some kind of a uh she said i thought it was a man dressed in a dark suit or something like that who was walking behind me and i turned around and he was gone and i was like okay 
let's go talk to the owners and don't say anything about what you saw. She goes, all right. So I walk up to uh, the owners. Uh, They're both there, man and woman. And I said to the lady, "Uh, let me ask you a weird question. (laughs) And, And I do start a lot of conversations that way. I'm sure you're not surprised to hear that. I said, let me ask you a question that's kind of odd. Uh, Do you ever see any ghosts in this building? And she goes, yep, oh yeah. And I said, where do you see them? She goes, yeah, in that back room there with with the blue walls. I looked at Lauren, I was like, no way. I mean, like, anyway, so the woman goes on to tell me, uh, this is, you know, this this place has been there for, I don't know, like a, almost 100 years. It's very, very old. I can't remember all the details, frankly, but because uh, I do hear a lot of strange stories. But uh, she said that they actually called that the clown room because at one time there was like a bunch of clown paraphernalia in there. Uh, and she said, yep, you know, that's, that's where the ghost hangs out. And, and so, th- you see, that, that kind of thing impresses me. When you have a person that you know and trust, and, you know, Lauren and I have been together for 20 years. I know very much what she's like. She does it, She never comes to me and says, oh, I just saw a ghost in there. You know? So Lauren comes to me and says, I saw a ghost. And then I go and ask the owners independently, and, and they're like, yep, that's where the, we have the ghost. And then, of course, we get deeper into conversation, and they describe the same type of thing. It looks like some guy in a dark suit. I mean, it's, it's just amazing. I mean, that kind of thing is amazing to me. Um, you could chalk that up to, to coincidence or whatever you want, but when you're there and you see that stuff play out firsthand, it really makes you believe that there's something paranormal truly happening. So anyway, look, uh, Lauren and I, over the course of two weeks, we end up going to over 30 casinos, maybe 40, but I know it was over 30. And this is not my first trip to Vegas. I've been to Vegas two or three times before. Um, And as you probably know, I have very good luck at gambling. And so I enjoy gambling, and this was no exception. I did have a lot of luck. I will tell you that it's not as easy to win in Vegas as it used to be because back in the older days, a lot of the casinos were independently owned, and uh, they had to compete with each other. And now they're becoming more homogenized. Uh, One of the reasons is that uh, you may have heard of Steve Wynn. Steve Wynn, very, very rich man in Vegas, who purchased many of those properties and um, has sold a lot of them now to MGM. But, I mean, I mean listen to this, for example. He, he owns a bunch of buildings in Vegas, uh, casinos and stuff all over the world. And there's one casino that is the win, like the win, you know, W-Y-N-N. And so we went to that one and did very well there. And so at some point, I was walking out of the casino, and Lauren was with me, and I go into this little lobby off to the side. And here, on a 
a little uh, podium or whatever is uh, not a podium, like like a little platform, uh, is a statue of Popeye the Sailor Man. Now, I've always been a big Popeye fan. And I'm talking, you know, back... You know, I wasn't around in the 1930s, but as soon as I became aware of Popeye as a kid, you know, it was one of those things where, like, you'd get up early on Saturday morning and you'd watch the old Popeye cartoons, and then I checked out the comics, and then, of course, I loved the movie with Robin Williams. Um... I've always been into Popeye because I like maritime stuff. So here's a statue of Popeye the Sailor Man. And it's about five feet tall. And uh, it's very shiny. It, it, it reminds me of how a Christmas ornament looks. Very colorful and shiny. And uh, it's got um, a, a, uh, a little bit barricade around it, I guess you could say. It's cordoned off. And there's a security guy standing there. So I walked up to the Popeye statue, and uh, I started taking pictures of it, and I started talking to the security guy. Now, let me ask you a question. right Now, I know know that you, you haven't probably seen this. You can get online and just look up when... W-I-N-N, Popeye statue, and you can see, again, five feet tall, looks like a Christmas ornament. This thing is made of stainless steel. Do you know how much that Steve Wynn paid for that statue? Take a guess. Like right now, just think of something outrageous. I'm going to let you think about that for a second. I'm going to wet my whistle here. Take a swig of uh, Bud Light Clamato Chilada. I'm not even going to edit this out. Bud Light is not a sponsor or anything like that. But they ought to be. And I tell you something, kids. If you want to know how to grow up and be a professional broadcaster, here's a little secret from the JP Dubs. You get yourself... A Bud Light Clamato Chilada. One of the tall boys. Just down that thing. Just down that thing right before you get in front of the microphone. You'll be able to peacock like that. Nothing. Ugh. Probably going to get some hate mail for that one. Okay, so anyway. What did you come up with? How much do you think that Popeye statue is worth? Well, let me tell you something. He paid 28 million dollars for that statue of Popeye. And I asked the security guy, I said, okay, help me understand this. There are no diamonds here, there's no gold, there's no silver, no, no, no. Okay, why did he pay $28 million? And the security guy just grinned and he goes, hey, it's art, man. Why is the Mona Lisa priceless? It's art. Well, it's like, yeah. Gotcha. And I just uh, read the other day that it, uh, supposedly he, uh, Steve Wynn turned down 
an offer of $60 million for that thing. Can you believe that? Turned it down. So that should give you an idea of the wealth that some of these people have in the world. (laughs) But especially around Las Vegas. But I do want to tell you some about Zach Bagan's museum. Because his museum, uh, it, it just opened days ago. And because I was filming with Ghost Adventures there, I got to go into the museum early, you know, before it had been available to the public. And this is truly one of the coolest things I've ever seen. And that's, I, I, I think that's saying a lot, because I've been spending my life looking for cool things. Uh, it was definitely the most amazing thing I saw in all of, all of Las Vegas. Um, I, there's no telling the millions of dollars that Zach and or his partners or whoever uh, put into this thing. They've been working on it for years. It's in this big old historic mansion that is uh, in downtown Las Vegas. So it's not on the Strip. It's over. It's not far from the Pawn Star Shop. And, and and just to tell you a few things, okay, like after we finished shooting, uh, Zach, gave, he he took the time. He gave he gave me the privilege of personally taking me around and showing me around his haunted museum there. Now I'll be honest with you, he has some stuff in there that I would not have. Uh, whether it's in my museum, certainly not my home. He's got some serial killer stuff in there that is creepy. Uh, he, I mean, he's got some pretty dark stuff like Dr. Kevorkian's van and Michael Jackson's propofol chair. And, uh, he's got the Dybbuk box in there, which is considered by many the most haunted object in the world. Uh, he has got, um, some of these creepy dolls and stuff. Um, but, but a lot of the stuff he has also, frankly, is I find kind of playful. I know that it would bother some people. Like, for example, there is a whole room that is a theater full of nothing but um, uh, pu- puppets like and ventriloquist dummies and marionettes. All arranged as if it's an audience in front of a stage and... Uh, but then he's got some stuff. Oh, also, one of my favorite things, he actually bought an entire old creepy-ass like fun house from the 1920s. I don't know how he found this entire collection of like everything in the fun house and set it all up again, you know, uh, recreated that. But one of the things that struck me is that as we were walking through, there were times when Zach would uh, say, well, you know, some of the things in here, uh, are just um, recreations of nightmares I've had. Oh, really? Like what? He goes, oh, check this out. So we walked over to this one little area where there's kind of a, uh, there's a little short wall that, that separates you, but you look in and you see this exhibit area, and there is a bunch of really ragged, rough looking, disjointed, mannequins standing around uh, and some have arms missing and stuff like that and in the background 
there's like some mechanical thing, like a big meat grinder, and everything is rolling, and he goes, check this out, and he hits a button, and a light starts flashing, and all of these different mannequins just start jerking in all these freaky positions, uh, and he goes, yeah, just, just a nightmare, and I'm thinking to myself, good lord, I mean, how, can you imagine having a space in your life where if you wake up from a nightmare, I don't know if you write it down or, or if that nightmare is so vivid it just sticks with you or what. Uh, by the way, there's a guy outside mowing the grass. You, you might hear a little of that once in a while. That's, it's nice to have groundskeepers, but not when you're trying to record a podcast. So anyway, uh, yeah, but imagine having a space where you can just go out and buy the stuff you want and and recreate a nightmare and sell that to people as part of the experience what a, what an odd idea um but he actually uh, to, to give you a sense of what it looks like inside this sprawling mansion that just goes on and on and on and on forever he actually hired the set designers and artists from the TV series uh, American Horror Story to um, to come in and design the look and the atmosphere of this. He was like, I got the very best people in the business. And I have no doubt that he did. Excuse me, folks. I, I mean, let me tell you something. This guy, Zach Bagans, when he decided to build an attraction in Vegas, he knew he had to step up to the plate and he was not playing around. So, if you get a chance and you're in Vegas, and, and I'm not being paid to say this, I have no financial interest in his museum. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'd rather you come to Asheville, North Carolina, and go to my museum. Um, but uh, his museum is amazing. So, anyway, I could go on and on about experiences in Vegas. But, um, listen, I want to tell you about my very last experience that I had while I was there. Speaking of dreams, I have always been a very, very vivid dreamer. And I actually recorded a video, I'm pretty sure I did, uh, that should be posted on my YouTube channel, where I said that... um, I lately had been dreaming uh, a lot of stuff that was coming true. And one of the things that I like to do when I go to a casino is play a roulette wheel. Now, here's why I like to do that. Uh, The most fun stuff to do is just to sit down in front of the slot machines because they're just made like, you know, video games for rats. And all you have to do is hit the button and, uh, and you get a little reward. Well, um, <laughs> the uh, the problem with the, the slot machines nowadays is that they are completely electronic and they are definitely being uh, influenced by programming and, you know, they have uh, certain standards, of course, for how much they're going to pay out and what times of day are going to be more active and all. So those things are manipulated. A roulette will... Unless something, you know, like unless there's some illegal funny business going on, is just a will 
that's got, you know, what, I think 36 positions on it, 36 or 38, I think it's 36, and you, you spin that wheel, you toss a ball down, and it's all Mother Nature. Like, it's just all chance. Nobody's supposed to have a hand in this scientifically. Nobody can predict where the hell that ball is going to land. And it's a very natural, organic uh, form of gambling. And if that ball hits a number that you have put some money on, then you get 35 times what uh, you put down. And that's a pretty good payoff. So if you put a dollar down, for example, well, you'd win $35. So you can imagine how quickly that adds up if you put down $2 or $3 or $4 or $5. So I had this dream that I was sitting at a roulette wheel. This is before I went to Vegas. And I've never dreamed before nor since that I've been sitting in front of a roulette wheel. But in the dream, I'm sitting there. And very distinctly, I put some money on number 15. And I won. I don't remember how much I won, but I just knew. I mean, I woke up and I had this big, huge number 15 in front of me. So, here it is, my my last day in Vegas. And up until this point, I had been to the roulette wheel a few times. But amazingly, I had not done 15. Because you actually have higher odds if you place your bets in uh, other areas. I won't get too technical, but you can place a bet like on the corner of four numbers and you um, you can win if you hit any any one of those four numbers, but you don't get as much and it's a safer bet. Anyway, so finally it's my last day in Vegas and I'm like, you know what? Oh yeah, I'm just going to, you know, I've got this amount of money and I'm going to place my last bet and I go up to a roulette wheel and I take more money than I have ever put in my life on a roulette wheel. And I put it on number 15. The wheel spun, and I kind of just zoned out, to be honest with you. It was really weird. And then I heard this woman next to me go, Ah, oh, crap, 15. And I'm just like, no way. Yep. It hit 15. And... <laughs> I got a payout that was so big that when I went to the cage where you cash your chips and everything in, the woman saw the amount and her eyes lit up and she goes, oh boy, and she called in an assistant. I kid you not. That's when I knew. I mean, this is Vegas at a Vegas casino. And when they're like, uh, wow congratulations <laughs> you've had a good that says a lot because you know vegas geez you know millions of dollars are, are nothing in some of these cases again stuff like this i dreamed 15 that was the last bet i put in vegas was on 15 it hit this is not a coincidence folks stuff like this happens to me all the time because i pay attention I pay attention, and I have an open mind, and I feel like the universe is, it's constantly giving you signals, it's constantly speaking to you, it's constantly giving you directions, you just have to take it seriously, don't sit there and say, well, I know this can't be possible, because uh, scientifically, or statistically, or what? how arrogant, and you're living here, 
on this planet where you feel so familiar with this planet that you think you know how the whole universe works? We have got the very best scientists with the biggest budgets, the most intelligent people out there using telescopes and they're looking as deeply, as far and as wide as they can into the universe all around us. And they come back and they say, nope, we hadn't found anything like what's right here. This place is special. This place called Earth. This is, things operate a little differently here than they do anywhere else in the universe. So, <laughs> look, what I'm telling you is we don't know everything, but the very fact that we are here is paranormal. The very fact that we're on this planet is paranormal. So open your mind to strange and paranormal things because this is a special experience. Um, you know, one of the people who wrote about dreamlike psychic experiences was my good friend Jim Mars. Uh, he wrote a, a lot of great books. One of them was Psy Spies about uh, the U.S. military bringing in psychics and doing remote viewing experiments. And, and that's very well documented. That actually happened. And Jim passed away a few months ago, and gosh, you know, we, I know that everybody has to to live and die, uh, so to speak. We all we're all heading to the same destination, but the the world changed a little bit that day. Uh, it, it will never be the same place without Jim Mars living in it. Uh, Jim Mars was such a wonderful, brilliant, warm-hearted, down-to-earth guy. I, I believe that he had the greatest mind that I've ever actually had the privilege of, of really knowing in person. And um, we were you know, such good friends. He, he spent the night at, at my house here in North Carolina, we went on tour together, uh, and last year, Lauren and I went to his home near Fort Worth, Texas, and he and his wife, Carol, took us in as guests, and, and we spent the night with him, and they were just fantastic. Jim and Carol both, the the just such warm, loving people, Carol made us dinner, she's a fantastic cook. Uh, they put us up in an amazing room there, and uh, that that day, Jim uh, took me and Lauren around the area and took us to some UFO crash sites, for example, in Aurora, Texas. He took us over there where supposedly in the late 1800s a, a UFO crashed, and the townspeople buried the alien in a cemetery, and you can still go to that cemetery and see the grave where the alien supposedly is. Um Jim uh, had an old uh, Mandlicker Carcano rifle, the very same type that uh, Lee Harvey Oswald used uh, to shoot JFK. And uh, he had it there in his study because he he liked to say, like, "Uh, you take that thing and see if you can fire off that many bullets in six seconds or however long. Let me tell you, no. 
Not me. Uh, I couldn't do it, especially hitting a moving target. Anyway, Jim was just just a great, great guy. And losing him, uh, you know, that, that was a sad thing. Uh, he, he was 73 years old, and he was in great health uh, as far as I could tell. Last year when we visited him, he was sitting around with us. And we were drinking tequila and having a big time. Uh, but anyway, this year it all fell apart. And I don't know exactly what happened, but he ended up on kidney dialysis. And his whole system started getting weak and he started losing vision. And then he finally had a heart attack and he died. Um, but whenever a person like Jim Mars dies, and what I mean by that is a person who has written a lot of books. I find it amazing that you can pick up a Jim Mars book and start reading it, and guess what? Jim is alive again. He's there. He's there in spirit. You can hear his voice just just reading the words. And uh, it really is a form of immortality, and, and it makes you so happy that there are people out there who... Um, who will, who will write write something and leave it for you and i mean i don't know how long this digital stuff is going to last like you know you're sitting here right now listening to me in, in a digital podcast uh, you know an emp could come and wipe this out tomorrow i mean i can't find things that i did 10 years ago that were digital they get lost but um but you can still read shakespeare and you can get a sense of who Shakespeare was, or you can read Charles Dickens, or you can read even even going to ancient stuff. You know, you read the Bible and stuff like that, and you're like, okay, who who knows exactly who this person was? But there is a person here with a voice who is speaking to me, and it's just a wondrous thing. And so I'm happy that uh, Jim has left this realm, but uh, he's alive through his works. And if you've never read Jim Mars book, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, just go out and read Rule by Secrecy. That, that, that'll get you going. Or um, how about Alien Agenda? Um, but of course, Jim is most famous for writing Crossfire, the um, plot that killed Kennedy, which Oliver Stone turned into the movie JFK. So anyway... Jim Mars, you were a good man. Thank you for being such a great friend and an inspiration and a role model. Godspeed to you, buddy. Uh, all right. So, let me get back to where I've been on my travels. So, I'm in Vegas, and, uh, you know, I had a ver- various run-ins with notable people. But listen to this. Oh, boy. I gotta have another sip of my Bud Light Clamato Chilada for this one. You're gonna like this one. At least I hope you will. So, Lauren and I, we flew back from Vegas to Charlotte, North Carolina. We got off the plane and we had a bunch of heavy carry on. And to get from the plane to the baggage claim area is a bit of a trek. And so sometimes when you go to these airports, they have these carts that you can rent. Uh, They're set up in like an automated rack, and you put some money in there, and you pull a cart out. 
and it's so much better than dragging your stuff around all over the airport. So we got off the plane, and I knew that there was a rack nearby with these carts, and so we decided that Lauren would stay there with the luggage, and I would walk over and get the rack, which was down the terminal a bit, and and bring it back. So I walked down the terminal over toward the rack, and the rack is right next to uh, another uh, gate where people are coming off of another airplane. And I noticed there's a bit of a commotion amongst the people who are coming off the airplane. And I look over, and standing there, a few feet away from me, now listen, folks, I uh, I don't usually use foul language when I do uh, broadcast type stuff. I guess that comes from years of being on FCC regulated radio. But I'm about to use uh, a foul word, a curse word. But I'm going to use it in a good way. But I'm just giving you a heads up. All right. In case there are any kids around or whatever, or if this offends you, I'm sorry, because this is the only way that I can adequately capture for you what I saw. There is a time and a place, and this is the, this is the, definitely the situation that that uh, requires it. I look over, and a few feet away from me is Mister Fucking. Now, never in my life has it ever entered my mind that I would turn and unexpectedly see Mr. Fucking T standing there. Um... When you see, let, let me let me let me try to to capture this for you. Um, there are very few things in life that you can see that immediately remove your thoughts about everything else in your life. Something that's just so unexpected and so impressive that it's like tunnel vision. Uh, here, oh, geez, there's, there, he can maybe you can hear that. There's still weed eating out here. Oh, this guy's we- weed eating outside. I'm gonna have to fire this guy when I'm talking about Mister Fucking T. <sighs> anyway, tunnel vision, right? I zero in, and I at that point. Everything in my extremely active brain just goes dead, except for 100% focus that Mr. Fucking T is standing there. Now, I maybe you're listening to this and you're like, oh, come on, Josh, what's the big deal? Well, I will, I, I will give you a little perspective on this. Um... I, you know, I was, I guess I was the right generation or whatever. I mean, Rocky, you know, he, Mr. T, uh, 
was in Rocky. Uh, Mr. T was on the A team, which I watched every day I could. You know, even in reruns, I get back from school, I watch the A team. He had cereal. He had Mr. T cereal. One of my favorite movies is Pee Wee's Big Adventure, and Pee Wee sits down with a big bowl of Mr. T cereal. I pity the fool, you know. And he's Mr. T had a, a cartoon. I mean, how many people do you know have been immortalized in a cartoon? Mr. T is an icon. He's an icon. So, I see him standing there, and uh, immediately my head whips to the left because I want to bring Lauren's attention to this. like, Because she's so far down the terminal, she's not paying attention to what I'm doing. And I'm telepathically like shooting beams out like, are you seeing this shit? Are you seeing see what's happening here? This is Mr. T's here. And there are people going up, getting their picture with him and everything. I realize that's, you know, it's not working. So I get the cart, and I go back down the terminal uh, to Lauren, and I say, Lauren, Lauren, Mr. T is down there, okay? Mr. fucking T. And she's just like, oh, well, that's cool. I'm like, really? Really? You don't think that's amazing? That is earth-shattering that we've been on this like epic adventure in Vegas. We come back to Charlotte. It'd be one thing if I was like, yeah, I was in Vegas and Mr. T was there. You'd kind of expect that. But no, I come back to Charlotte, North Carolina, get off the airplane, and Mr. T is the first notable thing that I see You know, when I've been off the plane for two minutes. <sighs> she doesn't think it's as big of a thing as me. So I'm just like, uh, I think you can tell how I felt. So anyway, listen to how much more incredible the story gets, though. Right as we were landing, there was this terrific thunderstorm. It was just terrifying breaking out. I don't know if you've ever seen that old Twilight Zone where the guy's scared to death on the airplane and lightning's flashing, and he's already about to just like flip out, and he looks out the window, and he sees a little demon like chewing on the wing. Well, uh, that's sort of how I felt at this point. Uh, at that point, coming in on this airplane. So it was scary. And so, anyway, Lauren and I, we go to baggage claim. Uh, and we try not to check bags. We try to just do carry-on. But we had I had some uh, props and stuff that, from the TV show that I used check baggage for. Turns out that I guess it's like a union safety condition or whatever. Um... The guys who unload your bags from the plane and take them over to baggage claim will not do that if it is lightning uh, within X amount of miles. So we've had a long trip. We go to baggage claim, and it turns out we have to stand there for over two hours before our bags come. Yeah. But, guess who else is trapped at baggage claim? Mr. Fucking T. So, I kind of felt a little sorry for him, because he's trapped in a world where everybody knows who he is, and there's just a crowd of people crushing in around him the whole time. 
and uh, I'm thinking, man, uh, should I should I join in on this, or you know, you know, is that appropriate? I'm trying to figure out how to handle. Do I go up and say something to Mr. T? And so uh, finally, I was like, yeah, I got to do. It. If I don't do this, I might regret it. So. And, I, and trust me, I've met a lot of celebrities. I've worked with a lot of celebrities. I'm not easily starstruck, but Mr. T, again, national treasure as far as I'm concerned. So I, I saw my opportunity. I walked up, and I said, I, and, and here I am. I'm, and by the way, I'm 6'2", Mr. T, a lot shorter than me. I was amazed. He actually was a very small-looking man. You'd never think that based upon how he's been portrayed. So, I look into his eyes, he looks into my eyes, and I said, Mr. T, put out my hand, he shakes my hand, I'm shaking hands with Mr. T, and I said, look, my name's Joshua Warren, I live here in North Carolina, I just want to thank you for all the years of wonderful entertainment that you have brought me. Uh, it's a huge honor to meet you in person. And Mr. T was the nicest guy. He was like, oh, thank you, brother. That means a lot to me. And he, he goes, yeah, you know, I love uh, being in this area. And, uh, and he, he started asking me questions about myself and seemed very, very genuine. And he goes, yeah, I'm actually in town right now because I'm uh, part of a promotion for, uh, oh boy, now I can't remember. It's a, it's a, he, he does promotion for a T, not surprisingly. I can't believe that I don't recall the name of the T at this point this is terrible that i'm doing this big podcast about mr t and i can't remember the name of the t he was promoting i guess i can't remember it because you know you know i wasn't thinking about that i'm thinking about the guy in front. just look up mr t and ice t and i'm sure you'll find it so he was in town promoting this t and uh anyway just the nicest guy and i talked to him probably like you know three or four minutes and then i uh I stepped aside. I didn't get a picture with him. I could have, but Lauren was watching the luggage. And Plus, sometimes when you meet people like that, you, you, you kind of feel like a bit of an ass when you're like, hey, can I just you know snap a shot with you? I mean, it, I don't know. There's, maybe, again, I'm from the wrong generation or something like that, but it feels a little invasive to me. Even though everybody else is doing it, it feels a little invasive to me to just you know pull out your camera and do, do a selfie. It's, just, it's not my style. So anyway, I go back to Lauren. I'm like, well, Lauren, I can watch the luggage now. You know, I'm talking about like the, the carry-on luggage. If you want to go meet Mr. T, and she goes, I oh, know, that's okay. So Lauren didn't go meet Mr. T. <sighs> I, you know, I, again, I hope that that story is as impressive to you um, as the experience was to me. Maybe not. I have no idea, but Mr. fucking T. So we got back in town, and uh, timing again worked out very well for us. It was on our side because um, the eclipse was about to happen, and 
We, uh, with all my plane travel, I'd never gotten the TSA pre-check thing, which makes it easy for you to go through the airport quickly. We'd just been putting it off, and finally, you know, we decided to get that done. And it turns out you can't do that in Asheville. The closest office was in Greenville, South Carolina. So I made arrangements for Lauren and myself to go to Greenville, South Carolina, which it just so happens was also in the totality, the 100% totality of the eclipse. And so, um, and, and the rooms there, the good Lord, they were like $700 a night. But, you know, I, I, I just happened to be planning to be there so i got a much better deal and so uh we went there we saw the 100 percent totality my buddy uh, c eric scott the filmmaker he came down and brought like a barrage of cameras and we documented it and uh, i know you know like the eclipse is old news now but I, I will tell you this um i would say that it looked to me like a big black hole in the sky surrounded by these magical wisps these rays of light and it, it was an amazing experience you could see the stars behind it um i don't even know if you could pick that nuance up with the camera and and i thought to myself wow if i were if i were living a thousand years ago and i had no idea what was going on and i looked up and saw this oh yeah this would be paranormal to me this would be a paranormal experience. So that was super cool that that worked out. Um, so then after that, I flew to Colorado to shoot an episode of um, Beyond Belief with George Norrie, host of Coast to Coast AM. And I have been on Beyond Belief before, but they have revamped it. Uh, it's a different kind of format now. It airs uh, on, it used to be Gaiam, but now it's Gaia TV, which is a streaming um, broadcaster you can get online, or if you have Roku, you know, you can, you can get it that way. So I went out there to, um, to do that, and, you know, let me tell you something. George Norrie and Tom Danheiser are just great people, just good just good, friendly, solid guys who I've known them now for, I don't know, 15 years, something like that. Both of them have, have I, I, I can't say enough good things about the opportunities that those two guys have given me. And so it was, it's always a pleasure to do some kind of a project. We've done TV shows together, lots and lots of radio, uh, live events, and, and it's always just been a great experience for me. So... So we shot that in Boulder, and while we were out there, um, which, by the way, if this is of interest to you, we, we flew into the Denver airport. And you know, there's a lot of uh, conspiracy theory around the Denver airport because uh, there are these bizarre paintings everywhere that show these apocalyptic scenes, and um, it's in a really expansive place, and there has always been uh, stories about tunnels underneath it. Um, and so I... Um, when we uh, were driving, actually, we, we had a driver that, that picked us up from the airport. And so as the, the driver was taking us away, I um, I said to him, you know, there have always been some weird stories about tunnels and stuff under the airport. Do you know anything about that? And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah. He said, you know, for like 20 years, I was, um, 
I was working at the airport, and he said, I had security clearance. And he said, I went into the tunnels, and he says, there's tunnels all over the place. But he said, you know, there's nothing sinister about it. That uh, He said it was supposedly just um, a, a place that they built to facilitate um, their baggage claim and that uh, it turned out to be very inefficient, so they abandoned it. So, you know, you, you can decide for yourself how you feel about that. Maybe that story is um, is ridiculous, and th- that's just what they told the employees. But anyway, so uh, it was real smoky out there, by the way, the first day. Everywhere you go, there's like some kind of tragedy you know of some of there's fires earthquakes hurricanes you know uh drought i mean you you name it floods and uh, it was very smoky out there the first couple days but lauren actually lived in colorado over 30 years ago she was just a little kid and her family lived out there for a while and uh so she was very curious to see how it was going to compare to her memories and so the one of the last days we were there um we we rented a a car and we went to estes park which is north of boulder i guess and um it's about 7500 feet in elevation which is pretty amazing and uh you find elk that just roam all over that place. Really cool little town, but that's where you have the Stanley Hotel, which is the hotel that Stephen King was staying at when he uh, was inspired to write the book The Shining. So it's um, it's a notoriously haunted hotel, and uh, the funny thing is, it doesn't look the way the hotel does in The Shining. They they didn't shoot anything at the Stanley for the the movie. Kubrick, uh, I think he shot uh, a hotel in Oregon, and then he did a lot of stuff on sound stages in England. But it's funny because in the movie, the the hotel, which they call the Overlook, uh, it, it is vast, and you have all these high ceilings and all these huge spaces. But actually, the the Stanley, I mean, it's a big, beautiful, you know, hundred year old um, hotel, but. It has a, it's kind of a claustrophobic feeling, actually. It's a, a lot of sort of low ceilings and, and, and smaller spaces. Um, so that's kind of surprising for people who don't know anything about uh, the, the, the inspiration versus the way it ended up being immortalized on film. Still, you know, great, great either way. But <clears throat> while we were there... In um, in Colorado. Okay, this is the first time I've been to Colorado since 2012, when they legalized marijuana for recreational purposes. And honestly, I've not been exposed to marijuana in a long, long time. Uh, and and. However, uh, being out there, I was like, well, uh, you know, it, they have these legal dispensaries where you can go and you can get a cookie or something that's got some weed in it. And so uh, we were like, let's, let's actually see what this is all about. Let's go see what this experience is like. So, 
in Boulder, Lauren and I went into a legal <clears throat> marijuana dispensary. And here's, here's what that's like. You walk in the door. There's like a little hippie guy standing there. Imagine that. <clears throat> you, you show him your driver's license. And he makes sure that you're over 21, and that's it. And then he and then he opens another door, and it's like, "Welcome to Willy Wonka's Candy Shop." And you pass through the threshold, and you have cupcakes and cookies and taffy and brownies and I mean, just packaged as professionally as anything else that you'd ever see in a grocery store strewn all over the place they also have some big containers of the actual marijuana bud if you wanted to just smoke some some bud so we go up to the guy and say all right well look we're honestly you know we're we're lightweights we've never been to a place like this before but we'd like to have maybe a you know cookie or some kind of a snack and just and he goes oh i know he got he's like i got you i know just the thing so he turns around and he brings down this little pack that has two cookies in it, which were like cookie dough cookies. And already I'm thinking, all right, this looks good because I love cookie dough stuff. Am I, I mean, is there somebody who doesn't? And he goes, all right, these have five milligrams of THC, which is the substance that gets you buzzed in marijuana. He goes, each one of these cookies has five milligrams of THC. Now, look, I, I, I have no idea what that means. But he's acting like that's like the lowest amount. So I'm like, all right, good. We'll do that. We'll, we'll get, give me a pack of those cookies. And then he goes, well, here's, a, here's another pack with a couple cookies. And these have 10 milligrams each. And this is like a mint chocolate chip thing. So I said, all right, fine. Throw those in too. So we bought four cookies. It was like $11. Uh, thank you very much. Have a nice day. Uh, and then, but, but before I walked out the door, I said, so should we like eat these things here? He goes, no, 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 no. You can't eat them here. He goes, you know, go, go. You're supposed to eat them somewhere private, you know, like, like a house or a hotel room or, you know, whatever. Oh, okay. So anyway, we go out and we're just kind of like exploring Boulder on foot. And so I'm like, you know, I'm just, it's a cookie. This, this cookie is like the size of a half dollar. So, uh, I was like, let's go to the bathroom, you know, and eat these cookies. So we go into a bar and go into the bathroom. I eat a cookie. She eats a cookie. And the guy told us, he goes like, it'll hit you in about an hour. All right, fine. So <clears throat> after that, we're walking around Boulder. Everything's fine. We go to a bookstore. We're popping in and out of shops, stopping occasionally to have a beer. And uh, finally, you know, about an hour. Just like the guy said, um, and by the way, that cookie was delicious. That cookie's, ing- I, I'd eat it just because it was good. So anyway, about an hour into this uh, deal, there was this uh, like mystical uh, crystal new age kind of shop. And so Lauren and I went into this shop. We were the only people in there. It was a pretty uh, extensive shop and it had all kinds of cool stuff. And it was actually, frankly, this is like one of the best places you could ever be an hour into a marijuana cookie experience. It, it wasn't planned that way. It just worked out that way. So she and I, it's, it's, it's obviously hitting both of us about the same time. So 
we're standing there talking to the lady at the front who owns the place and having all these conversations about crystals and gems and stuff. And I decide that I'm just going to go wandering off by myself and explore this place. So I go walking off totally alone, just marveling at all these strange things. And uh, here's okay. Here's a story about. Well, well, let me let me put it this way for you. This, this will help you understand the uh, the effect. All right. I'm walking around the back of the shop, and I saw this huge mirror. And so I walked over to check out the mirror and I look in the mirror and holy shit I don't have a reflection so I mean I, I this is freaking me out you know and I'm looking at this and I'm like have I turned into a vampire like what the hell is going on and I, I'm just like walking back and forth trying to wrap my mind around why that I do not have a reflection in this mirror. And then I realized it was a doorway. Because they had like another back section that had very similar things to what was in the front section. That is a subtle example for you of what being high on a little marijuana cookie can do for you. And this is lightweight stuff. Right, lightweight stuff. But you know what? We had fun. We didn't drive. We didn't do anything like that. You know, we went to a restaurant. We ate. And then we walked back to our hotel room. And everything was good. And I cannot believe that that is illegal. Uh, I think that, uh, look, if you can go out and drink at a bar, you should be able to pop into one of these places and eat a marijuana cookie because it's certainly not going to be more dangerous than drinking. But as usual, you don't ever want to do any of that stuff and drive. As long as you're not driving anywhere, you're not operating any equipment, you're not doing brain surgery, it's, it's, it is no worse than drinking, and I think in many ways it's not uh, anywhere near as potentially dangerous as drinking. So that was my experience with, um, with a legal marijuana dispensary. Uh, boy, I'm looking at my list of things that I tried to hit here. I'm trying to hit. When I came back from Colorado... I hooked up with my buddy Christian McLeod, who is the president of the Asheville Cryptid Society, and we produced a van tour around Asheville called the Asheville Mystery Van Tour. And uh, man, what a fun day! It was it was it was uh, it was supposed to be an eight-hour experience turned into a twelve-hour experience. Uh, wonderful people came from all over the country to spend the day with us in our 15-passenger van, and we took them all over western North Carolina. We took them to Transylvania County, to the Allison Deaver House, and oh, took them to Lake Lure and Chimney Rock, and uh, up to Pisgah Inn, and the Devil's Courthouse, and Helen's Bridge, just all over the place. We actually got together at uh, Well Played. You might remember Well Played is a board game cafe 
in downtown Asheville that has the largest selection of board games in the entire state of North Carolina. And you also can uh, buy uh, beer and wine and have some really cool little snacks and stuff there. Great place. So we, we met the crowd at Well Played. And, uh, boy, we we just had a fun day. Uh, Brad was there. Dr. Mulder, who builds the wishing machines. Uh, surely you know what the wishing machines are. If not, you need to go and check out the video immediately. Uh, one of the reasons, I'm, I'm telling you, one of the reasons that I live such a fantastic life is because I use wishing machines. And that is the God's honest truth. Uh, if you go to wishingmachineproject.com, you can just watch the videos and see the free stuff and understand what a wishing machine is. But uh, that is honestly one of the keys to my personal success is using wishing machines every day. Wishingmachineproject.com. Shelly Wright came with us. Investigator Shelly Wright, who is not only with Wright's Coin Shop, but she has the premier mystical arts shop in Asheville now just had their one year anniversary called nevermore mystical arts and uh, nevermore mystical arts.com investigator Shelly uh, she loved it and you know one one thing I like about the fact that she was there Shelly is a native of Asheville she she's lived here her whole life just like I'm a native of Asheville and uh, I figure if I can impress her then I can impress anybody because she's seen most of this stuff before. But my goal is to, to take you, even if you're already familiar with these places, and still impress you and show you things in a in a new way that you didn't know. Um, we have actually, actually, yeah, you know, I call her Investigator Shelley Wright because she was the first graduate of my uh, institution, the Warren Institution for Paranormal Studies, uh, and. She took the classes in person. I don't do those classes in person anymore, but they're still available online. If you go to uh, joshuapwarren.com, you can take the classes online, and people all over the world have been doing that to become certified paranormal investigators. And I had a number of graduates on uh, the van tour, uh, like you know, Daniel, for example. Uh, he started up his own team and he had a thermal camera that we used at the uh, oldest house in western north carolina the allison deaver house very haunted place there was a murder that occurred there it's it's uh, verified and uh you know we saw some pretty freaky stuff uh on the thermal cam but see that was a one-time kind of experience but it was such a hit that uh, we figure, you know, if, if there are other groups that come into town in Asheville and specifically would like to have uh, a mystery van type experience, um, we're going to make that available in some form. It won't be like the whole big shebang, but we're going to make that available in some form for you. Uh, if you just go to hauntedashville.com. Uh, and which you know, this is the time of year for that that stuff. We got all kinds of ghost tours. We have the haunted Biltmore Village tour. Uh, so anyway, you know, hauntedashville.com. If you're going to be in Asheville, let me tell you something. You want to go to hauntedashville.com. This is my company. I own all the tours. I designed and all this stuff. You you want to go check out the thing. If you want to do a walking tour or a van tour, go to hauntedashville.com. Anyway. So, throughout this whole experience, of course, 
Um, here we have hurricanes hitting Puerto Rico. I've had a condo in Puerto Rico for the past five years. And I still, as of this moment, am not certain about the state of my condo because that I have not been able to communicate with anybody from my town called Bocaron. Uh But what I will tell you is that in Puerto Rico, because of their debt and because of the fact that the electrical grid there has been just a mess for decades, just a weak, tangled patched up mess even when the weather was beautiful there the power would go out every seven to ten days so i knew when that hurricane maria hit it was just gonna oh just gut that infrastructure so it's very sad i um i'm not sure when i'll be going back to puerto rico you know i have a lot of stuff down there um but uh gosh i you know, it, 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 it's really devastating when, when things like that happen. So, look, I know there's a lot of stuff going on right now that demand charity. But sure enough, if you get, a, if you get an opportunity, um, you know, if you have a little extra money or whatever, you know, go to the Red Cross or what, whatever charity you trust and donate some money to help get puerto rico back on its feet because uh it, it would mean a lot to to them and it certainly would mean a lot to me um okay boy i'm, I'm going pretty pretty long here so i'm going to try to wind this up for you um this october i have a lot of cool stuff going on i actually invented a new wand that i am gonna be sharing with you soon and this one is unlike any other wand I've created. I always love to come up with new stuff and outdo myself. So if you're interested in, in magic wands, if you if that works for you, um, I hope that you will uh, you'll go to joshuapwarren.com and sign up for my free e-newsletter. But here is here's the big thing that I, I really uh, want to stress to you. I've been doing radio broadcasting type stuff for, I don't know, probably close to 20 years uh, as a host, as a guest, as a producer, you name it. And people have said to me throughout that entire period, man, you should be doing something on a daily basis every single day. And that's a great compliment. And I love hearing that. The problem, however, is that I do so many things. I'm fortunate to have so many opportunities to not only do, you know, TV and, and radio and live events, but just doing research. I mean, that's first and foremost why that what I do is even interesting is because I take time to get out in the field and do real research and try to give you a no-nonsense view of what's happening in the field. So I haven't had time to do a daily broadcast ever, and I've never really thought that was going to be possible. But I'll be honest with you, when I was in Boulder, something weird happened to me. I was, uh, it sounds silly, but I was taking a hot shower with the lights off, and all of a sudden there was like a flash of light, and I was like, what is that? And at the same time, I had this idea, and it all occurred to me, and it all just appeared. Some people would call that a download or something. I don't know if that's appropriate. But I had this vision of how I could do a daily podcast. Because it occurred to me that all these years, I um, 
I have not had the time because to put a podcast together is really a big pain in the butt. Okay, you got to sit down in front of a computer of some kind. You put on your headphones, you get your microphone out, you do your sound checks, you start recording, make sure everything's recorded okay. Then you got to go back and maybe you got to edit some stuff and put in some filters. And then you got to render everything and process everything. And then you got to upload it somewhere. And then you got to write a description of what it is. And then you got to tell people it's a, I mean, it's a big thing. It doesn't seem like it if you're just a listener, because one day you're like, oh, here's something that just popped up that this guy recorded, you know, you hit play, and you know, that, that's it. But no, to, to produce that is a big thing. And what I found is that really podcasting today is no different than just doing old-fashioned radio. It's just old-fashioned radio was going out through terrestrial broadcasts, and podcasting is going out through the internet. But you have all these people who act like they're breaking new ground you know, with their podcasts, and they're just sitting around doing the same thing they would be doing if they were at a radio station. Well, the, I don't have the time to do all that stuff every day. And that th- th- this is where it occurred to me. I realized that I could work out a system where I could pick up my cell phone. The technology has advanced to the point where I can pick up my cell phone and I could call in to a particular service and leave what amounts to a long voicemail message and hit a button and upload that thing and boom, it gets distributed to you wherever you are in the world. Unedited, unfiltered, raw, without any corporations, without any sponsors, without any commercials. What is more pure than that? Because even if you go through a traditional podcast network, well, that's still a network, and they say, well, every once in a while, you got to get on here and uh, you got to pause whatever you're talking about, and you got to promote, you know, puppy food or something. This is different. This is totally independent. I could be in the middle of a crop circle and say, "Holy crap!" You know, I am standing in the middle of this crop circle right now. Here is what I am seeing. Uh, oh my God! There's a man in black walking over here. He's probably going to kill me. You know, or I could be, uh, you know, in Dracula's castle at the top of a mountain in Romania and tell you, here's what I'm seeing right now. Or maybe nothing's happening. I, you know, I'm, uh, I'm in a bar and I'm just meeting up with a buddy and getting hammered. And you know, uh, but here's what I'm thinking about. You know, here's what's on my mind. But and then, but it's so simple. I call in. I can go up to six hours if i want now i think most of these will just be a few minutes maybe five minutes ten minutes but the 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 beauty of this system is i can send out as many podcasts per day as i want depending on what's happening so there will be some days where i'm just going to be like look uh, you know i'm not uh, i'm not filling up to it today or whatever so sorry and then there will be days where i'm basically talking your ear off telling you what's happening this is the most pure immediate way possible in the world to independently get messages to you and i'm talking unedited and by the way i don't know what you have thought of this podcast so far but this is unedited i just sat down and i've just been i'm not going to edit these things they're going to come out there the way that uh they uh, the way they process in my brain through my mouth to your ears 
Yes, there will probably be some foul language from time to time. Yes, I will probably say things that may not be worded in the most uh, appropriate way. But I want to I want to try this as an experiment. And you know what? Maybe you won't like it. Maybe maybe you, you'll listen to it a few days and you'll say, eh, this guy, eh, he, I don't care what he's doing. He's boring to me. But what I can tell you is that my life really is like a roller coaster. Every single day, I'm living this adventure. Okay, I, I don't call it a paranormal existence. There's something going on every single day, enough that I have confidence that every single day, and I'm talking seven days a week, every single day. I can I can make a recording for you at least once a day that you will find interesting. And it may again it may only be 5 minutes, who knows, it might be hours, but I think I can do that and I have the simplicity at my fingertips to do this. I'm working with Mr. Mobius to get everything uploaded properly. So I'm going to start this new podcast tomorrow. It's called Joshua P. Warren Daily. Now, it's free. You don't even have to sign up for anything. I want this to just be simple for you. It's going to let me you know, communicate with you without having to worry about anybody telling me what I can or cannot say, because that happens all the time, believe it or not. And I'll get into that more on a future podcast. Uh, because there are every company has people who are like, well, here's what this demographic would like. So we prefer you not to say this or do that, and then they edit it and they cut it the way they want. That's ridiculous. What you need to do if you want to be a part of this and experience this, go to joshuapwarren.com. There is no period after the P. Go to joshuapwarren.com at the top of the page. There is a link there that says, click here for Joshua's new podcast. Now, you can go just at your leisure and click that every day if you want to, bookmark it or whatever, and you'll see the new podcasts pop up every day, and you can play them and just listen to them as MP3s or download them or whatever. But there's also going to be a little tab there next to it that says subscribe. And if you hit that button... uh, if you have an iTunes membership, it will link you up so that you will get alerts through iTunes. Um, or you can, uh, there's an RSS feed there. If you don't know about RSS, don't even worry about it. It's kind of, it's kind of complicated. If you hit RSS, it's a bunch of gibberish that uh, basically you have to plug into a certain type of a player. But if you hit subscribe, and you can do the iTunes thing. But I tell you what one of the easiest things is going to be. Every time I post a new podcast, uh, I'm going to also tweet it. Now, even if you don't know anything about Twitter, it's very, very simple. Download a Twitter app, and then you can just look up Joshua P. Warren and hit the button that says follow. And I could be the only person in the whole world that you follow, and that's fine. And that way, every single time I post a new podcast, you'll get an alert, like boom. You know, and it, and and every time I hit this little button, it'll say something like, "Here's what I'm listening to right now," and there'll be a link, and you'll know that I have a new report. So I'll keep you updated on various ways 
to, to, to be alerted on a daily basis. But again, here are the three basic ways. Go to joshuapwarren.com and just click the link and listen to it. Or once you go to that link, which will take you to a company called Buzzsprout, which is the company that actually will uh, upload this, you can hit the subscribe button. And if you uh, have iTunes, you can hit the iTunes thing. And, and by the way, that is not... I'm not sure if that's in place yet, but if that's not in place, it will be in place any day. Or just go to joshuapwarren.com. You'll see my Twitter account there. Sign up for my Twitter account, uh, which if you already have one, you just hit the follow button. And every time I have a new podcast, I'll tweet it and you'll get, boom, a little tweet from me. And then you'll know to go and listen to it because it doesn't do any good for me to record these things. If you don't listen to them every day and uh, and take advantage of it, because again, this is an experiment. If you like it, if this works, I will do this forever. If not, I'll say, okay, I tried it. Yeah, didn't work. And I'll go back to how I am right now. Maybe I won't do another podcast for four more months. So it's up to you. That said, boy, I've been talking your ear off now for about 90 minutes, but, uh, you know, when it comes to radio in general, um, you know, speaking of strange is the radio show that I created, and you're listening to a speaking of strange report, which is a supplement to that. I was the host of speaking of strange for for many years, but I don't even have the time to do that show. And I really want to thank my good friends Vance Pollock, Sam Steele, Shelley Wright. They get out there as often as they can. They go in the studio and they keep recording speaking of strange. I still own the show, I'm still executive producer of the show, but the show would not be on the air if it weren't for Vance and Sam and Shelly, and so uh, I really want to express as much gratitude to them for keeping Speaking of Strange alive. And the idea is, Speaking of Strange is one kind of thing, the Speaking of Strange report, like you're listening to now, is another kind of thing. And Joshua P. Warren Daly is going to be another kind of thing. But they are all parts of the same enterprise, of the same empire. And the idea is to do our best to bring you good quality content without any BS. Okay? Just, just, that's the thing about, like, again, Joshua P. Warren Daly. No BS. I don't have to sit down and run this by anybody. Whether you like what I say or don't like it or find it interesting or don't, it's still pure. It's coming directly from from here, and it is what it is. So I hope you'll go to joshuapwarren.com. I hope that you will subscribe to my free e-newsletter there. You'll get a free good luck charm when you do that, and I will keep you updated on whatever I'm doing. But please also make sure that you... Uh, you follow my Twitter or subscribe to iTunes or whatever you need to do to get my daily podcast, Joshua P. Warren Daily. Again, you can go there right now. Uh, this is October 7th. I'm going to start doing these tomorrow, October 8th, 2017. So if you're listening to this down the road, you might already find several of those things posted. Uh, if you're listening to this uh, today, then you will... Uh, You'll have something, hopefully, to look forward to tomorrow. So that said, uh, that's the best I can do, my friends, to catch you up for now. 
It means a lot to me that you are interested. It means a lot to me that you take the time to listen. I am so grateful for you. I know that you could be listening to a million different things right now, and it means a lot to me that you're interested in what I am saying and doing. So that said, thank you for staying curious, and you will be hearing from me again soon. God bless you. Talk to you later.